You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay. Yes? I'm What's been happening in our world? I'm semi-cheerful. Semi this is, this is, is that better than fair to middling? I'm not I sure. like it. I like it. Semi-cheerful. I, so, I feel as though I am the Eeyore to your Tigger, <laughs> you know, when we have these conversations. <laughs> Well, it's good to be different. I'm sure if our our listeners would categorise us in this way, but that's kind of how I feel sometimes. But, no, uh, what's happening? Um, Just, you know, the same stuff that's always happening. Writing, write a book with Al, continues chugging along beautifully. Everybody seems to be doing very, very well, which is exciting. So that's going. Even I mean, Mm. you know, even I'm doing well, which is even more exciting. Um, So that's happening. Um, Yeah, I'm just pretty much whatever we talked about last week, we could just fast forward to this week as well. So for anyone who is new to this, hashtag write a book with Al. If you're writing a book, you can write a book with Al and everyone else who is using that hashtag. And it's a great way to get the words down and to share your victories or your not so victorious days where you don't necessarily write that many words. But It's just a good thing to do because you know that a whole heap of other people are doing it at the same time. It's kind of like NaNoWriMo light. Oh, very light. It's NaNoWriMo (laughs) for people who just want to do what they can. (laughs) It's not prescriptive That's reality. That's that's reality. It is reality. Like we have Tim Edwards in there who's doing about 4,000 words a day and then we have – I know, and I'm a big shout out there. And he's got this fantastic, I'm loving his Instagram at the moment because there's a mix of dogs and also um, this little updated word count board that he just sort of updates every day as to how many words he's done. He's aiming to write 50,000 words this February and as far as I can tell, he's on track. So, you know, I'm just totally going to take credit for that because clearly he wouldn't have done that without me. So yes, he's doing brilliantly, clearly. but everybody's doing great. Ruth Devine is working on on a book at the moment, and she's not quite. She often does a Ruth four thousand, but she's not quite managing that. But she's she's hilarious. She does one thousand words. She only deals in you know noughts, so she does one thousand words, yes. or she does four thousand words. But there's none of this five hundred and twenty three like I do. Like I just sort of run out. So I stop <laughs> mid sentence some days if I just can't think of what to put next, or someone distracts really? me. So, yeah, sometimes I'll just be like, yeah, no, this is not working. I'm just going to walk away. And I do. And then I come back and I have to try and work out what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I could start – I don't think I could – leave off mid-sentence like the OCD part of me would just make me write some random things and put a full stop 
Well, no, because, you know, I'm just so used to being, as I said, it's about distraction. It's like somebody comes in and says, I've gashed my arm open from elbow to wrist. Mm. You're not thinking about finishing your sentence. You're kind of just going. I mean, not that that's happened this week, but (laughs) these kinds of things do happen regularly. (laughs) Great. In my house. Sounds like fun. (laughs) It's just brilliant. I mean, the combination, it's just never a dull moment. What about you, Val? Surely you've been doing something far more exciting than all of those things. Well, I am heading to Brisbane this week and a big shout out to everyone who is booked into the talk that I'm doing at Aspire Gallery, which is how to be a writer slash artist slash creative. I'm sure that it's just there's going to be people, it's filled to the rafters, right? Right. Well, it booked out within a couple of hours. So we had to ask the venue, can we squeeze in a few more people, which they've allowed, and it's booked out now again. So uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting you all and, you know, make sure you come and say hi and, and chat and ask all your questions. Okay. Will there be um, pictures? Will you be putting out pictures on Facebook oh. for us all to admire? Well, it's hard for me to take a photo when I'm doing the talking, you know. Surely there must be someone there that can take some pictures that you can throw up. I'll Come see on. if I can ask someone. This is a tip, right, for all of you people out there in the world who are going to be authors or presenters, always have someone in the audience to take social media photos for you. That's right. That's okay. Right. I will. Yes. I will and seek that person out. Um, please do. That's so. Yeah, that should be fun. Uh, but we also want to give a big shout out to Nicole Eliku. I might have pronounced that right. Not sure. Who has left us a review on iTunes and titled it "I owe all my motivation to this podcast." And Nicole oh. Eliku has said, all I can say is I wish I found this podcast two years earlier than I did. I have had been trying to write my first book for so long and could never find the motivation to continue or I had no idea how to continue. Now I listen to this podcast every morning on my way to work and even during my lunch breaks and it prepares me for all the writing I'm going to do when I go home that day. As my partner says, we are very lucky to have Val and Al as they offer us all these tips and guidance at absolutely no cost. I will forever be your loyal listener and can't thank you ladies enough wow very sweet i'm so glad you're making progress that's brilliant yes we love you nicole eliku and can't wait to read whatever it is that you're writing and if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on itunes that would be so awesome we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings yes Um, indeed oh i've got one more thing to say oh yes go on don't go anywhere Big Uh shout out to Louise Brooks, who was the winner of the signed copy of the Book of Secrets that I gave away via my newsletter this uh, month. Uh, So all of my newsletter subscribers were, um, it was pretty easy to enter. It was just like, you know, respond to this email, which they did Mm -hmm. in their droves. Um, So, yeah, so she's going to get a copy of the Book of Secrets in the mail, signed beautifully. Um, But I just wanted to give you all a heads up that uh, next month there will be another giveaway. It will be a bigger giveaway. And all I can say is that with the Book of Answers getting closer, because it is due on the 27th of March, there's very high possibility that there will be an advanced copy of that in that giveaway. Um, So if you want to know about that giveaway, you need to sign up for my newsletter, which is alisontate.com forward slash newsletter. Um, Mm. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. 
And so, it's a great newsletter anyway. as well because Al does it monthly and she curates just really, really useful links and really useful tips and also gives you a peek into her own writing journey. But I in particular, but I, I kind of know that because I talk to Al all the time, but what I really love in particular is um, uh, all the curated links. I just find them really useful. So make sure you sign up for her newsletter if you want a good summary uh, all in one spot of everything you need to know. Um all right, so let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. We have a couple of links for you. The first one is from The Right Practice and it's called How to Develop Story Ideas into Amazing Stories. Now, there is a difference it's, and it's quite distinct because I can really relate to this because often, um, I don't know about you, but this has certainly happens to me, I think of something that is the seed of an idea that kind of goes, mm-hmm. oh, that I kind of go, oh, there's something there, but I find it very hard to develop it into a fully-fledged, amazing story. And I'm sure there are some listeners who can relate to that as well. And I'm thinking of one person I know who has uh, already started 155 novels. Sorry? Yes, yes, yes. Did you say 155? Yes, yes. Started? Yes. So she has... Um, she might have, I don't know how many she's finished, but no, obviously she has not finished 155. But what she's great at is that seed of an idea. She knows there's something there and she can develop that into a great start or certainly a great scene um, and thinking that she will then build on that. But only a handful, I do know at least one that has developed into a, a proper full-length story because she finds it hard as well to 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 move forward from what seems like an exciting story idea and instead of pushing through and developing into an amazing story she gets distracted by the next bright shiny story idea you know what i mean yes we've so, talked about that yes so what i think is useful about this particular post is that it 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 kind of gives you some um suggested strategies and one of the things that they say is find the heat. And so they say uh, once you choose a specific idea, find the hot spots in it or create one. A hot spot is a place where the temperature is higher or a place of significant activity or danger. Mm. And it might be the inherent conflict in a conversation or the oddity in an image that could lead or expose to disaster. So sometimes you, you you need to start where the action is and kind of not necessarily at the beginning of the novel, which may be where the action is, but it may not, and mm. and then build on that. So that's one idea of, of, you know, developing it further. But I think importantly, a lot of people start with um, settings or scenes Mm. Or they start with topics, you you know, I want to write Mm. about global warming or whatever. Mm. And I think that a great place to focus yourself, especially if you want to turn your story idea into a proper story, is is your character because it's your character that needs to drive the action. And so one of the things that this is saying is what does your character want from the moment we meet him or her? How far is he willing to go to get it? And, you know, really building on Sure, your original story idea, but centering it then around how will the character react and behave and and what they will make decisions within that story idea and then kind of start writing it that way rather than thinking, I want to write with this big massive theme about redemption or, you know, 
whatever. Mm. Well, I want to set my thing in the Australian outback and that's all fine, but it, mm. it it's harder to start with that than with your character to build on a story idea. So mm. my question to you, Al. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just sitting here nodding away, drifting off, and I just suddenly I've come back going, drifting you're going to ask me about this, aren't you? Did you hear that? Drifting off. She said drifting off. So, no, I wasn't drifting. I'm not drifting at all. I'm I so don't, focused. I don't see you as having this as a major problem for you because you seem to be able to ha- get your story idea and and really let it brew and 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 develop rather than go on to the next bright shiny story idea you tell me is that correct well I have to say that I think that that's just practice though I think that I've learned a lot over many years of getting this wrong um and working out that in actual fact you know if you keep jumping from project to project you never actually ever finish anything which of course is the key to the whole mess once you've finished a story you know how how you write the story and you can edit the story and you can play with the story you can do all of those things um but if you don't get to that point then all you've got is 155 brilliant starts and no finishes mm. um i think the interesting thing about this and again this may well come from my Uh, journalism background because to me this is the whole uh, topic versus angle kind of thing that we talk about a lot with feature writing. So Mm. it's something that I know from my background as a features editor. Um, You know, often, particularly beginner freelancers, will send you, you know, I want to write a story about working mothers. And it's like, okay, that story has been written 8 million times before. Mm. What are you going to give me that is fresh? What angle are you going to take? And I think that that is something that I sort of like probably bring subconsciously to writing fiction as well. It's this whole notion of, you know, I want to write a story about how they mapped the world. Um, Mm. Okay. How are you going to make that interesting, Alison? Like what's that going to be? And, of course, that came for me, came back to the character, um, and, you know, and sort of that whole, I think that one of the biggest tips in this thing, this whole find the heat, you know, you choose an idea and you find that hot spot. For me, it's the why. Why is always what all everything I do is all about. It's why I write features, feature stories. It's why I write fiction. It's, it's that whole notion of why would someone do this? What mm. is going to make someone get on this ship, why would they stay there? You know, it's that whole notion of why does anyone do anything? And I think the why is is always really important. And from the why, you often get the problem. And, of course, the problem is where the story is because basically a story is your character, whoever your story may be, uh, sorry, whoever your character may be, is your, is your character having a goal and what is stopping that character from reaching that goal? Like why is this story not finishing on page three? Because they need a really big goal which develops a whole range of problems and the plot comes from your character making decisions all the way through. It's all about your character making decisions. Mm. Like storytelling is problem solving because your and every single decision that your character makes as they go along adds to the story. And, of course, what you want to do is make things as difficult as possible for your character because if it's easy, then why bother? It's like, you know, you um, one of the biggest problems, I think, with beginner romance writers is this whole notion of conflict in it, you know. And if, if your conflict is something 
that your two that your characters could resolve on page five by having a conversation, then your whole premise is flimsy and your story doesn't hang together. And readers readers know that, you know, they need to feel satisfied that this character wants a goal that is worthwhile to that character and they have to feel that the problems that this character is facing are also real to that character, you know. Um, mm. So if you want someone to dive into a world with you and dive into a story with you, then you've got to have all it, – it's, it's got to have the logic to it. There's got to be that underlying logic. Of course this is what that character would do because they are X, Y, and Z. And, and your story develops from all of those different, different decisions and things that your character is making along the way. But it all comes mm. back to why for me. Okay, I want to write about global warming. We've got to think about what's the ang- – okay, it would be like – writing a feature story you can't ring up and say I want to do a feature story on global warming everyone's like okay why why would you do that you know what I mean um what's your new angle what's the fresh angle is it a water shortage is it a this is it a is it an island in the pacific that's sinking and and is is that your character's home okay now you've got a problem what's going to happen next and so you've got you're asking yourself all the time okay what if this happened why would my character do that and what happens next? And if you just keep asking yourself those questions as you go through and answering them, then you have a story. Yeah, absolutely. Focus on that and don't get too caught up in in um, what am I trying to say? Fr- don't get bright, too shiny new in. ideas. Yeah, well, a bright, shiny new ideas. But if you don't have a character driving your story at the core of what you're doing, then all your beautiful sentences, beautiful as they may be, is a kind of mm-hmm. not not that useful if you actually don't have a story that's moving forward. That's right. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to another link which you've got, which is great from oh, Literary I've got a story for you. I've got a question for you, Val. Oh, oh, oh it's goodness. my turn. All right, so this link I found is called How 11 Writers Organise Their Personal Libraries, okay? And I just find it fascinating because this whole notion of, you know, the different ways that people go about putting their books together is is a fascinating thing, particularly after I saw, and I just have to tell you, I had to close my eyes and quickly scroll by. Um, there was an image on the internet recently, and I, it did the rounds because everybody was outraged, of someone who filed their books backwards so that yes, only the that yeah, pages out because it fitted the neutral theme of their room. Yeah, let's not even talk about that. Uh, that's a whole another story. But, you know, there are people who arrange their books, like Susan Sontag, for instance, arranged her books by subject or, in the case of literature, by language and chronologically. Oh. The Beowulf to Virginia Woolf principle, but never alphabetically. Okay. Oh. And then, you know, you have um, – who else have we got in here? Have a look, Val. You've got the link in front of you. Tell yes, me who else. Yes. Wow. There's, there's, I love looking at people's libraries. So I just love looking at the photos of, of people's <laughs> libraries, you know, because they're all so different. Um, oh, how uh, about Samuel Pepys? Let's have a look at that. Samuel Pepys was famously meticulous about his personal library. He limited his collection to 3,000 volumes exactly and numbered them in order of their size, one being the smallest and 3,000 the largest. Wow. Can you imagine yourself doing that? No, I can't. I used to have a flatmate who was very anal and um, he – 
organized his library strictly by the Dewey system. Oh, seriously? Yes, and it was exact. It really That's was. Intense. That yes. is intense. Strictly well, by Fran Leibowitz organizes her books first by category, fiction, letters, essays, those kind of categories, and then there are many subdivisions. And then within each category, they're, they're in alphabetical order. So, you know, that's a fairly – I mean, this is a full-time job just keeping your library in order um, yeah. if you are these writers. So my question, of course, becomes – so this particular link is on lithub.com. It's called yeah. How 11 Writers Organise Their Personal Libraries. And now I'm going to say to you, Val, how do you organise your personal library? Okay, so I do separate fiction and nonfiction. With nonfiction, it is sort of grouped into vague kind of topics, you know. Um, right. That are, it's not strict and nothing's alphabetized within each of those topics. And with mm-hmm. fiction, they're generally grouped by author, but they're not like you could have an author with Z right next to an author with, you know, F. <laughs> so even though they're grouped by author, they're not necessarily ordered in any other way. Right. It's just like, because it also depends on where they fit. Because when you have that many books, you just have to fit them places, you know what I mean? Yes, you do. And if you, if you actually came to my house right now, <laughs> there's an interesting phenomenon going on with my books because um, a friend of mine came over and she loves creating beautiful little stories As and what I mean mm-hmm. by stories as I mean vignettes. Visual stories, yeah. Yeah, visual stories of your decor. And what she does is she actually goes to op shops like Lifeline or whatever and she will go to the book section and she'll get the books but she will – you know how when a hardcover book that is? Um, mm. uh, you know those hardcover books, they actually come with a jacket, right? And often the jacket, especially if they were from the 1980s or even the 1960s or 50s or whatever, isn't the most attractive thing in the world. She takes mm. off the jacket and invariably the actual hardcover book is beautiful. It's got gold stamping, you know, and some kind of beautiful mm. cover that has been beautifully kept because it's had the jacket on this whole time. So she purposely goes to op shops just to buy these old books that will go together in her interior take or story. So last time she was here, she did that to so many corners of my house with my books that are lying around. And she mm-hmm. took all the jackets off and made these little stories, colour coordinated. So you now you've got, you know, these. I've I've got a stack of books, and one is, a, a, you know, beautiful antique maps of the world on top of the complete history of Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you actually came to my house right now, because she's been here, there's all these little stories of random books everywhere with pot plants sitting on them. Great. There you go. That sounds lovely. Aren't you glad you asked? (laughs) I would not have lived without that knowledge. All right, so we should probably move on then because Alison. Let's ask our listeners, though, if they're, if you have a, 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 an interesting way of putting your personal library together, then please do share in the podcast community because we but would love to see. You? How do you? I, I don't. You knew that I was going to say that, didn't you? No, I, I don't. At all. No, they're just all on the shelves here next to me. I've got. Wow. 
I've got all manner of things. Just again, it's probably the closest thing that I go by is maybe size, like things that actually fit yeah. on shelves. Yeah. But that's it. I've got stuff everywhere. Um, and the other thing that I do, and this often surprises people, is that I cull regularly. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, regularly. Mm. Mm. So you know, I just have it's it's I'm very very harsh about what I keep and what I don't, and mm. and it's um yeah there's a lot of this just all it's just all there. I have a vague idea of which bookshelf it's on. So I have a few different ones, wow. um, but you know who's really anal about their bookshelves? It's quite hilarious. Is Book Boy? His are all oh. organised in categories. And then oh, yes. they started out as alphabetical, but of course that doesn't last very long. And no. then what happens is he tidies it up. You know, every once in a while we'll have this major tidy up and it all looks lovely. And then just what I see gradually is, because this is his actual filing system, is that they just mm. all end up in piles on the bed, uh, beside the bed yeah. next to him. So he's just got books everywhere. But he does every once in a while have a, have a moment, an OCD moment, an attempt to, you know, but there's no Dewey Decimal System or anything going on. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to our giveaway this week. And our giveaway is actually Quark's Academy by Catherine Pelosi, who we interviewed last week on the on episode 222. And of course, Catherine is an alumni of the Australian Writers' Centre and she's her awesome middle grade book. We have three copies to give away, Quark's Academy. Junior Science Geniuses, that's hard to say, Junior Science Geniuses, Augustine, Celeste and Oscar, can't believe their luck when they're accepted into an elite and mysterious Science Academy summer camp run by the elusive inventor, Quark. From the moment they step into the gates of Quark's Academy at the end of Molecule Drive, they know they're in for a week they'll never forget. And uh, so this is uh, Adventure for Readers Aged 8 to 12 and uh, Quark's Academy is bound to cause a hair-raising reaction. So mm. um, if you would like your chance to win a copy of Quark's Academy, then just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and entries close on the 26th of February. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And now, drum roll. Are you ready for the word of the week? Fanfare. Yes, I am, Val. (laughs) Okay. Coruscate. That's C-O-R-U-S-C-A-T-E. Coruscate. Have you used that? I've never used it, no. No, me either. So this means to emit... or sparkle or gleam, and to have flashes of light, often in relation to someone's personality or their conversation style. So you might say, in the dull room of suits who were all talking about tax, she coruscated as she mingled in the crowd. Seriously? (laughs) Would you say that? I don't think you would say that. In fact, I'm fairly certain that we would not say that. However, it is very good to know what that means. It is good to know. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know what it meant before? No. Do you know what? I'm not unfamiliar with the word though. Like I don't think I would ever have been able to tell you what it meant, but I've definitely seen it before. So it's Mm. obviously come – someone has used it in a sentence somewhere. I don't think it was a sentence quite – quite like the one that you um, <laughs> use there, but I've definitely seen it. And in context, you know, because that's the thing with um, with words like this, like you might read them in a book 
and you don't exactly know what they mean, but from the context of the sentence, you can pick it up, right? So you don't actually need to get your dictionary out to double check. Mm, yes, that's true. That's true. All right. So, Al, who's our writer in residence oh. this week? Oh, yes. Our writer in residence this week is the lovely Sally Hepworth. Um, and we are talking, so she's uh, doing it brilliantly in the world of commercial fiction. And we are talking about her new novel, which is called The Family Next Door, along with a whole other bunch of interesting stuff about being a writer. So I hope that you enjoy. Sally Hepworth is the best-selling author of The Secrets of Midwives, The Things We Keep, and The Mother's Promise. Her engaging novels are available worldwide in English and have been translated into 15 languages. Her new novel, The Family Next Door, is out this month through Pan Macmillan. So welcome to the program, Sally. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. All right, so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, which given the number of of novels you have, you would think would be many years, but it's actually only until 2015 when The Secrets of Midwives was released. So was that the first novel you ever wrote? How did it come to be published? No, that was – The Secrets of Midwives was my third novel. Mm -hmm. Um, The first novel I ever decided to write was – I was – living over in Canada at the time and I was about to go on maternity leave with my first child so I thought that it would be a great idea to write a novel that year as well. <laughs> the Canadians are very progressive and they were going to pay me for a year of um, maternity leave and so I wanted to put that year to good use and I'd always wanted to write a novel. So I wrote a book that year. I had My baby was a good sleeper so I managed to um, to get that that book done and really, it was just about that book. I didn't write with any particular um, focus. I didn't know anything about writing a book. It was really a practice book. Um, but of course, at the time when I finished writing it, I thought it was fantastic and perfect, and it was going to be a big time bestseller. So, I um, I started querying agents. I queried agents in Australia, in Canada, where I was living at the time, um, and I really didn't get much of a response I got actually quite a good response um of rejections quite a (laughs) thorough amount of rejections um and you know I was very new and my spirits weren't dampened by that so I just decided to keep querying um and I just cast my net a bit wider and started querying US agents at that point um and to my great surprise I did get a couple of responses from US agents asking for more pages and a few of them ultimately didn't want to go with it, but I did get um, eventually an agent who wanted to work with me further on uh, that book. And things changed a little bit. That was how I found my literary agent. That book was the book that ultimately ended up selling uh, to a German publisher and it was published only in the German language. Mm, <laughs> so that was an interesting, interesting thing for me. The first book I ever wrote and had published – the only words I can understand on it are Sally and Hepworth. <laughs> I love it. Everything else is in German, which I don't speak. Um, and and that, the way that that happened was pretty much it didn't really sell to any US publishers and so my, my agent thought that maybe it would sell in Europe because that book was set in the south of France and in London. And so over it went to the 
um, Frankfurt Book Fair and uh, and it was bought by a German publisher. So so that was book one. Right. Um, so as you can see, it's never a, it's never a quick story, is it? You no, know, how does no. one get published? No, it's not. And I think it's I think what I love about it is that every story is different. Like and that's mm-hmm. the first one that we've ever had that, you know, only came out in a foreign language. I think that's terrific. So what happened with book two? Yeah, well I was very grateful in the end that it was only published in German because it really wasn't a very good book. So now none of my friends can read it and I don't have to be embarrassed. So book two was a Again, it was uh, this book was set in Australia, and I decided to try something new. I was still a really new writer. I'm still a relatively new writer, but um, I was just experimenting, and I wrote a, a book about a drug dealer who goes uh, on the run from the police in a Mazda one two one up the east coast of Australia. <laughs> Needless to say, that book didn't sell either. <laughs> I can't imagine why such a great getaway vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so um but you know and I was still gaining the experience of writing and learning to write a book and, and finding out what interests me and trying that out and I really think that's such an important thing from beginning but for beginner writers to to do follow their instincts even if it is into a Mazda 121 um so so that was book two I showed it to my agent I didn't get too many um uh, too much interest and we just quickly we all just didn't speak about that book and we moved on after that quite quickly. And my agent then sat down he was in the US um, at the time and he said, uh, would you consider writing your next book in the US and setting your next book in the US? And and so I said, okay. I was already, I was pregnant at this time with my second child and I was thinking about babies and birth and I was reading a lot of books that were about by midwives who were uh, in the US and so it actually felt that the US system of midwifery really lent itself better to to my books Um, and so I decided to write a book about three generations of midwives um, and that became The Secrets of Midwives. It was that book then that sold in a three-book deal to St Martin's Press and now I've signed another three-book deal so that, that was the sort of first um, book that propelled me into, or my first book published in English, I should add, that propelled me into the uh, the contract that I'm in now. Oh, that's exciting, and it's quite a story as well. And the interesting thing about it is that from that point, you've then published a novel year, and as you say, you've just you know you, you've got a new contract, which I'm assuming is a similar time frame. So, were any of those books that have you sort of came out in that first three book deal had you written any of them before the first one before the secret of mid secrets of midwives came out were they sort of older ideas that you reworked or did you start from scratch with each one no I started from scratch I didn't have another book written when I sold the book um when I sold the secrets of midwives but by the time the secrets of midwives came out I had written book two which was the things we keep because there was a big lag between signing that contract. I think it was about two years between signing the contract and um, the Secrets of Midwives coming out. So immediately knowing that it was uh, a three-book deal, I knew I needed to get easy on the next book. Wow. And do you need to keep a, like for those kinds of deadlines, do you need to keep a, a strict writing schedule? Is that how you, you know, set up your day? Do you have like a routine or do you sort of juggle it in around work and family life? No, I'm not a routine person. I always feel like I should be a routine person. I just am all over the place with the exception 
that I am a I work full time as a writer. So every day I I suppose this is a bit of a routine. Every day I get up, I go to the library generally. I also have an office at home um, and I work between eight and five. Well, that's four days a week um, or eight and six. Um, so it is my job. I don't, don't um, also look after small children. Um, I've got two children in school and another one is in care. So um, writing is very much my job. As for what I do within those hours, it is so varied. It can be um, I tend to I tend to really break up my year in quarters. Um, and for the last few years, the first quarter of my year is about promotion. Mm. So whichever book is about to come out, I'm working on promotion. I'm doing interviews like this. I'm writing uh, Q&As, I'm writing original essays, um, going on tour, that kind of thing. The second quarter is about getting the first draft of the new book out. The third quarter is about editing, um, self-editing the book and getting it into a shape that I feel like I can uh, send to my editor without feeling too sick about. And then the final quarter is about editing together with my my editor and then there's the stuff that happens all around that social media and you know speaking events and things that come up um all throughout the year so yeah but I I manage that in a really higgledy-piggledy roundabout way and I'm sure there's a better system so don't take advice from me I don't know that always sounds very organized to me (laughs) do you um do you go to the library because you need to leave your house or like what why you you know like why do you choose to kind of work there yeah Several reasons. Um, first of all, until recently, I've just moved house, so I now have an office, but I didn't have an office at home. Mm. Um, and I have got a little one at home who's got who's with the nanny, so uh, it's better if I'm just out of the house and she doesn't see me. Yeah. Um, but also, I really enjoy working from the library. I love being surrounded by books. I feel like that really is creatively inspiring for me. Um, also, the library is really close to nice lunch venues. <laughs> Which is much nicer than just going to lunch. <laughs> you know what it's like when you're at work all day. You just live for lunchtime. Um, it also get I go for a walk. It's about two kilometres away, so that helps me to exercise. Um, and also, it is the quiet. You know, I do feel like rather than being at home, I'm actually going to work, and that's really important for my kids to see that I go to work. Yeah. You know, I don't just work on my computer um, and that's really important for me mentally to and the same thing happens if I go into my office I shut the door right I'm at work but um, but the leaving of the house is, is significant to me for yeah those those few reasons okay so what about your writing process like um are you are you a plotter do you just do an outline do you just get an idea and go with it like how how do you actually you know, if you're going to sit down and go, okay, today's the day I'm starting a new book, what's the process? Mm-hmm. Well, again, I have, I wish that I could align myself with a certain camp. I used to, I used to really feel that I was a plotter. Um, and I think that that's part of just starting out as a new writer. Um, I really, after writing those first two disastrous books, I became very interested in making sure that I. I could understand the structure of a novel. I read a whole lot of books about um, how to write a novel, how to write a good novel, how to create dynamic characters um, and all of those uh, pieces that come into to writing a book. And so 
I, I wanted to make sure that I was implementing them. And so a lot of plotting and a lot of planning started when I was writing The Secrets of Midwives and even The Things We Keep as well, the first two. Um, but since then, and I'm not sure if I've actually moved away from that so much as I've just internalised a lot of that. I haven't had to actively plan and actively think what's the goal, motivation, conflict, what's the the character arc. I think I'm just maybe hopefully <laughs> doing it intrinsically a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the other thing is I'll never completely be a, 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 a pantser, they call them, don't they? We'll completely be footless, fancy free um, because I do, I have, you know, it's just a good thing. I'm I'm being contracted. My books have all been contracted since The Secrets of Midwives, which means my publisher wants to see a synopsis before I start. So to that end, I do have to produce a fairly loose three or four page document from beginning to end um, of what's going to happen in the story. Um, That said, my editor has told me, you know, you don't need to to cling, as long as the book's good, <laughs> as long as we like it, um, don't worry too much if you decided to move away from a plot point that you put in the synopsis. So mm. I tend to write the synopsis and then I put it to the side and I write the book. Mm. Um, that's my that's my current mm-hmm. structure. But speak to me in a year and it might have changed again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you said that your one, two, third quarter of the year is essentially uh, editing that first draft. Mm-hmm. How do you approach mm-hmm. The, that first edit, like the one that you're doing for yourself before you're happy to, to sort of take it to your publisher? What, what's the process of, of getting through that self-edit, that first edit yourself? Yeah. Look, again, this is where I would love to. I've heard lots of writers talk about how they write the first draft and then they print it out and they get out their pens and they make a note and they, you know, then write a list. And, and that just sounds so glorious and effective, doesn't it? For me, it's muddier than that. I, I By the time I finish the first draft, I know what's wrong with it. Usually, usually I know something's wrong with it (laughs) Um, and I know things that I need to fix because I write quite fast and furious that first draft and I'll get to the end and I'll think, oh, I need to change that woman to a girl or, you know, that I need to make this person older, I need to kill this person off or this person needs to not exist and I'll know that in my head. I may have made a note to myself. Um, I might not have made a note but I just know that that has to happen. Um, So... It's sort of, and I leave little notes to myself in the manuscript as I write, like kill this person <laughs> or break these people up or whatever it has to be, change this occupation to lawyer. And so I'll just, it's it's sort of less of a, it's less clear what draft I'm on and it's more just a constantly moving and chipping away and getting more things right. Um, so it's really that third quarter is just about sludging through mud and trying to make it less muddy. Do you write? Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. But I'm just interested. Do you like, depending on like different people that we speak to, like some people, you know, to end up with say a ninety thousand word, you know, uh, manuscript, will write one hundred and twenty thousand yeah. and then cut it out, and others will write mm. fifty thousand and have to add forty. Are you? Where do you sit on that sort of line? I tend to. I always aspire to have a ninety thousand word book I always end up short I I, my books are sitting around 75,000 words now Mm. um which I feel like is a bit short I'd like them to be longer um but what tends to happen is I kind of write to that yeah that 90,000 word mark and I cut 
words out. Mm. Um, but I also write skinny. Like sometimes I'll, I'll just, in my first draft, there'll be a scene that is literally the words put a scary scene here. <laughs> so in that sense, you know, <laughs> write the scene where Bill kills Mark. Um, and that's, you know, first draft done, you know, so it's not really all that done. So in that sense, you know, there's always things that need to be added. Um, but I, I sort of do that because I know that scene. I know what has to happen, but I don't necessarily know what's going to come next. So um, I can't even remember what you asked me now. I've just gone off on a tangent. Neither can I. I think we were talking about the number of words and whether. So you tend to write un- uh, under, do you? And then, I, yeah, I, I definitely write under. Okay. I need to focus more on writing more. Okay, cool. All right, so. Let's talk about writing contemporary fiction because it's quite an interesting thing. A lot of people will write, you know, will start out writing contemporary fiction because of that whole write what you know thing that everybody tells you to do. But Mm. in actual fact, writing, you know, there are difficult aspects of writing about contemporary life, um, putting it on the page in a kind of vibrant way. What do you think are the most difficult aspects of creating a a contemporary world as, as with The Family Next Door, which you've done, you know, brilliantly? Oh, thank you. Look, it, there are so many challenging things about um, about writing in all genres, I imagine. Um, but for me, the thing that keeps coming up and up again in writing contemporary fiction is that people, everyone has experience with it. You know, everyone lives their lives. And I heard someone say the other day um, that she writes life lit. You know, people talk, call it chick lit or women's fiction, but she said she writes life lit. And I thought, I, I agree with that. I think that is what I write too. I write books about life. And so obviously everyone that's alive has opinions on it and has experiences with it and can relate to it, which is wonderful. But it also means that you need to try and create characters that will feel believable to people who have experience with life. And quite often I'll have someone say, and it might be my editor, or it might be a beta reader, it might be a reader once the book's been published, they might say, oh, I just didn't believe that this would happen that way. Mm. And and that's an interesting thing and that, that absolutely um, is a valid comment um, because you want to make the readers believe. Um, but quite often people will say something like someone would never do that, you know, people would never, it would never happen that way and I think, well, that happened to me. Like I might have stolen the story from my own life, but um, <laughs> that does happen. But, you know, that doesn't matter. The fact that it happens to me, if someone doesn't believe it, then you're not doing your job, you know, the way you should be as a writer. So I suppose in creating a world that doesn't exist um, and really, you know, allowing people to suspend their reality you, you do have a little bit more of an advantage because you can make anything possible. You know, you can people can fly because you tell them that they can fly and that's part of your world. But uh, when we ground things in this contemporary world in which we all live, people are going to come into it with um, with opinions and, and with things they believe in and they don't believe. And as a writer, that just makes us have to work a little bit harder. So what do you focus on in creating a world like that, like where you, you're, you're essentially dealing with a world that all your readers are familiar with, you need to still ensure that that world is fully built, but not in such a laboured way that people are going, why is she telling me how, you know, the fridge works? So how do you, like, what do you focus on when you're creating that, creating that world? Yeah, I mean, I I tend to under, um, 
um, to deliver on description. And, and I think part of that is that it is a contemporary world that people understand. Mm. Um, I like to leave things to the imagination. I try not to describe. I mean, I do describe a hair colour if I if it comes up in conversation, but I don't have the, the heroine rubbing her hand through her long blonde hair because that isn't, you know, a thought that she would have about her own hair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I find that the description for me is is less and so it allows people to draw more images with their imagination and so really it becomes about how to kind of deftly paint a character picture mm. with a few words and that's where my um my focus will lie on making the characters spring to life with a few words without telling them without telling the reader this person's bubbly, bubbly and vivacious you know you have to have her coming in doing something something bubbly and vivacious Um, and you know that's really important to to do well and to do quickly fairly early on because that's the impression that readers are going to stay with of those characters. So that's an interesting thing because obviously you know the characters are so incredibly essential. When you're writing uh, contemporary characters one thing I have found difficult in the past about it is differentiating voice between people who may have similar backgrounds. Like you, if you've got three women living in the same neighbourhood, um, you know, chances are that the, a lot of the vernacular they're using is similar. A lot of their, you know, they're at the same schools, they're doing the same, you know, drop-offs or whatever they're doing. What do you, do you have any tips for like differentiating voice with those people who might be from similar backgrounds? Yeah, look, I write multiple point of view fiction and so that's always something that I think about. How how can I make sure that even if it's written in first person as opposed to third person, how can I make sure that it's obvious who's speaking and, and whose head I'm in? Um, and honestly, the first thing I do when I create these characters is to think about what differentiates these women because later what what um, joins them becomes obvious, but what yeah. separates them, what's different about them. Um, and it's quite fun to make them opposite in a certain way. Um, you know, if one person is, is this, then another person is that. And I try to keep it to just a few main things um, because then that I'm able to keep that in my head. And every time I start a new chapter that's from that character's perspective, I visualise them, I think about who they are, they are in my head and let them walk around a little bit and talk a little bit and then I start so I really am constantly asking myself would Grace say this you know would Fran say would Ange say this um and that helps to color that that voice and and especially early on as I'm starting to write the book I give them lots of internal narrative as well to to help the reader understand who they are Mm. um and and then the reader will start to look those characteristics in that character later on. Mm, okay. And, okay, here's a question because you are, you know, working on a fairly strict schedule with your books coming out. How do you know when you found the right idea for your next book? <laughs> here's a question. Often I, know, often I know the moment that my editor tells me <laughs> that I found the right idea. <laughs> but um no listen I I it, it's different for every book and I have found myself in um periods where I've had a month which doesn't seem that long but it's an agonizing 
organizing month when I'm thinking I have to start a new book and I don't know, I'll, I'll toy around with a few ideas and uh, it just doesn't feel quite right and I'll spark it up a little bit, but still it's not quite working. Um, in fact, that happened to me before I started writing The Mother's Promise. I just couldn't figure out what it was I wanted to write and I came up with an idea that was okay. Um, my editor was lukewarm on it and I remember sitting at my, my computer working away at this really not very good synopsis for my editor and an email popped into my inbox that was a news story about this woman who was dying and she was looking for a home for her daughter and she asked her oncology nurse to look after her daughter and I thought bang that and that in that case I knew in an instant I'm going to write this book I could see the points of view I could see the the story and and how it was going to look um uh, other time, and, and I quickly wrote it up. I sent it to my editor, and they said, "Yes, bang, do it." So um, that that happened in an instant. Um, in this time, I've, I've sent off my latest book to my editor, and I've already had an idea for um, the new book, which came to me while I was in IKEA <laughs> of all places. Of all places. Um, and and <laughs> I think everything happens at IKEA, doesn't it? Apparently, someone's been moved murdered there in the um, staff section but um, I had an idea for a book and I'm really excited about that one so fingers crossed that my editor likes it but um, yeah they can come from all they can come slowly they can come in a moment for me you know anything is possible when it comes to the the ideas and the idea for the family next door where did that come from that came in a conversation with my editor um, when we were talking about the kinds of books that we liked and, and I was pregnant at the time, newly pregnant, and I was spending a lot of time at home and I'd been interested in my neighbours. I'm a bit of a Mrs Mangle and um, I keep an eye out the front window and, and see what everyone's up to and I was telling my editor about that and she said, oh, I'd love to read a book about a group of neighbours who kind of keep an eye on each other and maybe a new neighbour moves into the street. And then I took that and I thought, oh, I wonder what could be going on that the new neighbour could discover. And, you know, then I took it and, and made it what it was. But it just it started from that really, um, you know, really vague conversation that, that started from me being Mrs Mangle. So they all kind of take on a bit of, bit of me, a bit of someone else, a bit of an idea and, um, and, and yeah, it came – it came to me, this has probably been the easiest book that I've written because it really was grounded in my world, young mothers, pregnancy, set in Australia, um, you know, people keeping, neighbours keeping an eye on each other. It was really felt like it just came from me quite easily. All right, so what kind of things do you do to promote your books? Are you, like, do you find promotion comes more easily as your backlist grows or is it still, you know, like, is it something you enjoy or not really? I, it definitely has got easier. I remember when The Secrets of Midwives came out, I was incredibly nervous about doing, standing up and speaking in front of a room and um, doing interviews. It, it definitely becomes easier the more familiar that that I become with it. Um, it's not my favourite part of the process. I, I prefer the writing of the books. That's always why I got into it. I, I love the written word. Uh, and and that part of it when the book's been promoted and I'm sitting down and working on a first draft, that's my favourite. Um, that said, I really enjoy meeting readers and, 
and this year I'm doing a tour, a short tour of Australia, and then I'm going over to the US for a tour. And I am really looking forward to it. Well, well, I'm, I'm naturally slightly reclusive and, and, you know, being out of my home environment for a long time can be um, a bit stressful for me. I, I think there's nothing like meeting people who have read and enjoyed your books and um, and in that way, yeah, I think it's going to be really rewarding. Terrific. And you've recently teamed up with authors Rachel Johns and Lisa Ireland to create a new group email newsletter called The Secret Life of Authors, which is rather lovely. Can you explain a little bit about why you've decided on a group approach with that? (laughs) It it all started when the three of us, we we speak quite a lot, we're good friends, and we were all talking about how we had to write a newsletter. Um, We hadn't had a newsletter for a while and we needed to do it and we were all complaining because we thought, I don't even know what I'm going to say, I don't have any news. Um, I can't figure out how to edit it. You know, we were just having a bit of a moan. And um, and then I think we, it may have been a joke initially that um, we said, why don't we do one together? And then the more we talked about it, we started referring to our newsletter sort of as a joke. And then one of us said, well, why don't we do it? Then we could actually really make it fun. We could tell our our stories that we all find so funny about publishing and, you know, the the reverse glamour of it, you know, that we're sitting here doing a Skype interview with someone in New York and, we're sit- and we've got our pyjamas on from the waist down yeah. or, um, you know, we and, and there was just so many stories like that and the woes and the, the underworld and, and I remembered how interesting I found that before I was published and I know that readers love that kind of thing whenever I'm out speaking to readers they love hearing about the inside world and we thought hey this is a way of a making it more interesting for us um, b hopefully making it more interesting for our readers and doing something together because we're friends and we really enjoy that and and hopefully in the process you know we'll we'll um, find our readers will find each other's books and and enjoy them too but um but mostly for us it was really about about fun and about our friendship and we've been really thrilled with the response to the first one. Terrific. And if people want to sign up for that, can they do that at your website? Yes, any of our websites. Okay. Uh, Sally's mine is sallyhepworthauthor.com. Sorry. <laughs> mine is sallyhepworthauthor.com um, and then there is Rachel John's website and also Lisa Islands. Terrific. All right, now we're going to finish up our interview today with our usual, the last, very exciting, infamous top three tips for authors. So take it away, Sally. What are your top three tips for aspiring authors? Okay, the first one I would say is don't be afraid to write badly. I I think sometimes perfectionism can be our worst enemy and for me my first drafts usually resemble a dog's breakfast I wouldn't even show them to my dog but I get the book down fast and I get that idea out so I really feel like not worrying about doing the letter doing the words perfectly or finding the perfect phrase and just getting that story down because ultimately that's what we're doing we're telling stories the second thing that I would say is um this is sort of similar to that, but is, is write fast. So the first one is is don't be afraid to write badly. The second one is to write fast. And this is a tough one because it's not for everyone. Some people prefer to write 
slowly and so don't change your process for me but I found that the faster I write and the um the the more I focus on moving forward I c- the, the better I write and the better I keep a handle on what the story is because these stories can become quite bulky and if we slow down too much we can start going off in tangents because we don't have that forward movement um we can always go back and fill things out later knowing how it ends and knowing where we need to fill things out but um, I feel like writing fast really propels the story forward and gets a better, tighter story. And the final tip is nothing groundbreaking, but um, I really, and it probably appears in every one, but I think it needs to be said, is, is read and read widely. Um, read the books that are selling really well. Read the books that aren't selling very well. Read with your writer's eye um, and look at, stop every few chapters or a few paragraphs and think, am I enjoying this? Why am I enjoying this? Um, reread books that you've really loved um, because that's that's how we learn how to be a good, good writer and to be the kind of writer that we would enjoy reading, which I think is what we all aspire to. Definitely. All right. So thank you so much for your time today, Sally Hepworth. If you would like to find out more about Sally and her books, you can go to sallyhepworthauthor.com and we will put the link in the show notes. Um, But yes, best of luck with The Family Next Door. I think it will go brilliantly for you. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Wow, cool. Sally Hepworth. That was a really interesting thing about the world building, don't you think, Al? Well, it was interesting. It was it was one of those questions that, you know, as someone who has, um, you know, in the past written or, you know, unpublished, attempted to write um, sort of commercial fiction such as Sally writes, um, it's that notion of, you know, creating the environment so that you can picture the characters and know who they are and know what makes them different, even if their backgrounds are all similar, um, so and differentiate between them, but without telling the reader how to suck eggs, you know, like you basically got to, you've got to be able to put enough detail in there so that everybody gets what's going on, but without so much detail that people are just reading it going, yeah, I know what a phone looks like. So yeah, it was, it's an interesting, it's a fine, it is a fine line. And I I do think it's, um, I do think it's interesting. And it's one of those situations too. I think it's, it's among the most difficult things to write this kind of fiction in the sense, sense that you've got to make it sort of, You've got to make it so that people ident- like your readership identifies with what you're doing, but not mm. so much that they just feel like they're reading their own lives and this is really boring. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of like, you know, it's, it's kind of got to be, it's a hyper-realism in some ways. So, yeah, it's, it's mm. a, you know, it was, it was a really interesting chat and I very much enjoyed it. And I wonder how you figure out whether you are on the fine line or have crossed the fine line. Do you think that's just with your beta readers and giving you feedback on, yeah, right. 
you know, stating the obvious or something. Yeah, I think I think there is that. Like I remember when I wrote my first um, sort of novel in this in this kind of genre, um, I remember getting feedback from my agent just saying, "You don't need to bang them over the head with this." Like there was that <laughs> sort of. She was she was yeah. pretty fabulous. She, seriously, Al, you don't need to bang them over the head with this. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so there was a bit of that going on. So, you know, it is it is beta readers, but I think also once you've been doing it as long as Sally and you're doing it as well as Sally is, um, then it does become almost second nature. Like you're going and you're definitely going to see it in the edits. And the thing that really makes these novels work and the thing that is pro- probably in many ways the most difficult thing to get right is the voice because people come back for the voice. Even if the story feels you know, like something that could be happening next door to them, um, they they come back to the voice and they that, that's who they want to revisit. They're re- revisiting you as an author almost rather than because it's not series or anything. So why are they coming back to you? They're coming back for the way you tell the story. And I think yeah. um, that that's something that you just get more and more comfortable with as well the more manuscripts you write. So it's, it's a practice, boringly, yeah. it's practice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Well, we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What uh, What's happening today for you or this week for you be, until we speak again? Pretty much the same stuff that we talked about last time. It's just going to be one of those weeks. I'm just going through. I, I, you know, it's it's. I'm, I'm back into the swing of things because the, you know, the the school term is definitely underway, and yes. you know, I'm looking at my I'm looking at my diary and just going, I don't know how I'm going to fit all of this in, but that's what we do, isn't it? So it'll yes. be just more of the same. Um, and I will try to come up with something a lot more interesting and exciting <laughs> to be doing next week. Okay? okay, my challenge, and I choose to accept it, is to have something exciting to say next week. <laughs> All right. I look forward to it. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And what about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, please connect with both of us in the podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's free. And, um, yeah, that's a, it's some great conversations um, happening in there with some awesome people. It's such a really cool community. Uh, and of course you can find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.